Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz violinist Mads Tolling. He was born in Copenhagen, Denmark, and came to the Berklee College of Music in Boston. These days, he is internationally renowned as a two-time Grammy Award winner and the 2016 Downbeat Critics Poll Rising Star, winning the violin category. He just released 2017's Playing the 60s and for nine years was in the Turtle Island Quartet. This new album is a great one. He has gone on to span the globe with his blend of jazz and has plenty of stories to back it all up. So get to know Mads and dig this interview, my friends. Mads, thank you for taking a minute out for me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. My pleasure. So let me ask you, first of all, I know there's always a lot going on with you, but your latest album, Playing the 60s, talk to me about this album. What is your fascination with the 60s? Why did you decide to do this project? For me, I, you know, I grew up watching a lot of the shows that uh, we take the music from. You know, I grew up watching Meet the Flintstones and, and uh, Mission Impossible. And then, of course, you know, the movie Good, Good the Bad, and the Ugly. So uh, from my childhood, I had a lot of these songs in my head, so to speak. And then, you know, furthermore, it's like such a, an important time, uh, you know, in American history, in the in the world, in the history of the world, because you had, um, you know, the civil rights, you had Vietnam, you had a lot of conflicts, you know, um, and things were kind of being worked out on that level, and you know, sort of similar to today. So I feel what can happen a lot of times when you have a lot of conflict, you can have some good things come out of it. And that's certainly what happened in music, is you have had all this amazing music that took place, you know, from the Beatles to Motown to, you know, uh, world music being sort of a thing in the 60s, you know, them all kind of coming together. And th that's where I took my inspiration. So, so kind of like my... My interest as a kid, and as well as my, you know, the interest with with the period as a whole. So you were raised in Copenhagen, Denmark, and moved to the United States when you were twenty. Talk to me about your childhood in Denmark and how you got so interested in jazz. Yeah, you know, I I, I grew up in in Copenhagen, Denmark, and started playing the violin at six. Basically, just playing Suzuki violin, you know, as you're supposed to play classical music played my Mozart and Haydn, and then at one point, you know, uh, my dad came to me with a cassette tape of Miles Davis. We were actually traveling around the world at that time on a, a trip. My parents wanted me to see, you know, all these countries that uh, you would ne normally not necessarily go to, like Thailand and Indonesia, and I think we were in Thailand, um, and he was giving me this cassette tape of Miles Davis playing Autumn Leaves, and when I heard that, it just really grabbed me. Just there, It just somehow it connected with me on another level than I had before with classical music for some reason. So I was uh, so interested in doing this that I, um, you know, kept uh, figuring out how to, how to play those phrases on my violin. So I started messing around with, with that sound and, and playing some of the jazz tunes. And then, you know, about in February this year, there was a guy called Sven Dasmussen who passed away at the age of 100. And he was a major influence on me. He was... Um, uh, a wonderful jazz violinist, and I went to see him too shortly after I started listening to Miles, and it kind of all came together. I realized you can actually play jazz on a violin; it's possible. And then, of course, Stefan Grappelli and Stuff Smith and these other jazz violinists, um, jazz violinists, great. I started listening to, and, and uh, it all kind of fell into place. And uh, I was on this journey to to figuring out how to play jazz on a violin. So. 
was it a culture shock for you to come to Berkeley, to come to Boston, to study music here in America? Um, it, it was in a way because it was um, it was it was kind of a um, a different scene that I'm used to. Denmark is a small country, kind of protected scene. You're used to just going through what everybody goes through, but all of a sudden you're changing paths. You're going to another country. You're not used to the customs. You're not used to um, the language as much. Although I did speak English, you know, in, in schools, so that's one of the good things I had. But uh, certainly not knowing a single soul, you know, I didn't know anybody in the U.S. I, I had no family. I had no friends, you know, when I came. So it took me a while to adjust um, as, a, as a 19, 20-year-old. Um, that took a little bit of getting used to. But um, I think that, that's, that was a good thing for me, you know, to, to and, and for anybody to just kind of, you know, step into your own scene and, and figure out how, how uh, you can make things work, and uh, that's really what music is all about, is making the network and connecting with people from 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 scratch, in a way, you know, because um, if you're new in the country, they don't, you know, you kind of have to play your way through it, so to speak, and, 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 and I did that. So, talk to me about your quartet. You've performed all over the place, and you've been together for quite a while. Give me an insight into how this started and, and how it's going with the quartet. Right, yeah, I've had this quartet for about... Let's see, boy, it's about eight or nine years, and it started being this group with guitar even. There was guitar, bass, and drums, and violin, of course, and then that kind of developed into what it is now with, with the piano instead. Yeah, in the beginning, we were doing more, a little bit more of a fusion repertoire. We were even playing some music by Jean-Luc Ponty, um, doing some of his albums. I had a, a lot of originals, which we still play some of. And yeah, you know, it's it's slowly but surely developed into being more of a touring band. Uh, you know, in the beginning it was mainly in the San Francisco Bay Area, but now, and we go to Japan. I go to I have go to Denmark and play a lot in Sweden, Norway, and 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 so forth around the U.S. Of course, really with this latest project, also kind of opening up to a, a different a different thing with all these '60s songs. The, the neat thing about it is it's you know songs that everybody knows, but not the way we do it, you know, we do these like, you know, Afro-Cuban version of All Along the Watchtower and, um, and you know, kind of a reggae version of uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So we really run the gamut. And that, by the way, has always been the, the point of this group is being able to mi mix the genres uh, into something that, that makes sense. At the end result, hopefully makes sense to everybody. So... Who were your inspirations on, you know, the violin is kind of a specialized instrument in the world of jazz. Who have been, you've mentioned Miles in the beginning, but who have been your jazz inspirations? Right. Um, yeah, Miles certainly uh, a big inspiration. Um, you know, early on, Stefan Grappelli. I even went as so far as when I was, when I was, uh, entered this competition where uh, this, Danish bass player Neil Tenning Austin Peterson that died about 10 years back but was one of the greats in jazz. He um, was a competition of this, um, a judge at this competition and I played a Stefan Gravelli solo note for note and actually funny enough because Neil Tenning played on that recording um, and uh, he didn't, he didn't recognize, he gave me first prize but <laughs> that was like my first journey into figuring out how to play jazz because it's an important part of playing jazz is imitation, figuring out what other people do so you can imitate their style, figure out before you kind of add your own sound to it. So early on it was certainly Stefan Grappelli. 
you know, Sven Asmussen, as I mentioned, Jean-Luc Ponty also. Um, and then um, I, I, I'm all very inspired by horn players. So John Coltrane, I, I did uh, this whole project on, on uh, I Love Supreme, and we played that in Turtle Island Quartet that I was a part of and, and won a Grammy for that. So um, Coltrane is, is very big for me. And um, Keith Jarrett, Herbie Hancock, uh, Pat Metheny, you know, the, the, the greats of jazz, uh, certainly I've listened uh, a ton to. So if you could get into a time machine and go back and see one of these performers live, who would you go see? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I probably would have to say, I would probably have to say Miles. Um, it would be That would be a close between Miles and Coltrane because, they, you know, and I mean, seeing Coltrane play a Love, uh, Love Supreme or play, you know, My Fair Things or something like that, I mean, that I think that would probably perhaps be the thing, you know, because of the, the spiritual force that he was drawing from and uh, just the depth of his improvisation. I think what my, and, and I think about Miles, then I think about a great band leader and, and a guy that was extremely smart at putting projects together and arranging and finding the guy, the cat that could really uh, play together. So for different reasons, I would I would see one of those two, I think. So why do you love jazz? I think I think it goes back to just the core of when I when I listened to that Miles Davis tape when I was fourteen. I think what struck me right away was the intimacy and the you know it's sort of all the layers of of uh, of anything superficial or anything unessential is rolled away because you're hearing the guy a guy's soul and hearing what he has to say on his instrument in the spur of the moment. So it's like a, the ultimate conversation that you're you're hearing. It's not it's something that's prepared, sure, people know the harmonies and they know the melodies and stuff. But what it really boils down to is be able to to react in real time to something that's going on. And I think that's really exciting. And and if you understand that conversation and, and I know jazz is not the easiest thing to understand, but if you start like listening to it and really picking it up, it's one of the most amazing things to to uh, to witness and i that's why i really love it um but i also love other types of music for, for different reasons but jazz is great for that reason so what's the future for you what do you see happening what are you looking forward to see happening say in a decade from now for me right now i'm in this position where i've, I've done a, a few different um projects you know i've you know lately the mad men but i've also written um, a symphony, actually a violin concerto that was performed by Oakland Symphony that I'm playing now with different symphonies. We're taking it to Japan and, and around the U.S. and so forth. So writing and composing for symphonies, integrating the jazz sound, integrating you know a little bit of you know um, fiddle styles and, and boogie woogie and that sort of thing into the symphony it has been a, a big priority for me. Also because. Um, again, my experience learning jazz when I was a kid, I feel like I want to give that back to string players who are not necessarily used to um, that experience. And um, a lot of people, it can be a real eye-opener and really exciting for people who never improvised to kind of get there. So I enjoy that part, and, and certainly getting into the more symphonic world works with me for that. Uh, but certainly my, my, my heart is, is in, uh, in, in, you know, getting my group happening and, and collaborating with different artists. Um, an exciting thing on, on the Madsman album was also 
working with some great vocalists, Kenny Washington and Spencer Day. So involving the vocals into, you know, jazz and having this, the word, you know, which is, is a great way, I think, for people to relate to jazz is, is important for me, too. So collaborations with great musicians, you know, um, wherever it's possible. I'm going to play a couple of uh, sit-in with Jean-Luc Ponty here in June on a couple of his gigs and when he's in the Bay Area. So those types of uh, experiences are, are super valuable for me and, and hopefully for people listening to it. So everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, and your fans. But when you wake up and face the world, who do you think you are? That's, that's Again, it's, it's, it's a great question because you're, you know, you're this, Sort of, you have these different roles, you know, um, and d these different uh, uh, identities that constantly come out throughout the throughout your day and and throughout your life. And you know, a lot of times as a musician, you you end up wearing sort of the the the, the business hat um, quite a bit too, because you're always finding the next opportunity. Because Playing music and 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 doing music all the time is of course what you ideally, ideally want to do, but you do have to create these opportunities, especially with the way things are in the music business. Uh, you don't get a lot of stuff handed on a silver platter. I, probably never happened that way, but you have to always think about how to you know get the next gig and and record and and get the word out about what you're doing. So a fair bit of that is you think start thinking of yourself also as that as this kind of entrepreneurial dude, you know, who tries to make stuff happen. And then certainly, you know, um, the creative side. I also love to play, um, I also love to play tennis. So I'm a big sports fan, so I'll uh, kind of get into the whole uh, sports thing with tennis and basketball and, and uh, watching the Warriors play, you know, when they do the basketball. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's a little bit about me and what I like to do of uh, being outside, too, and, and nature hiking around, too. Is, is a thing I love to do. Speaking of hiking, you climbed to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro with your dad in Tanzania. What was that like? It was an amazing experience uh, because it was probably the the hardest experience I've ever had. I mean, the, the time where I felt uh, the worst in my life in some ways, but the, but at, at the same time, the most exhilarating, amazing experience I've had because I've got really severe... Um, what do you call that, when you're suffering from a lack of um, oxygen and you're way up in this altitude of, I think it's 19,000 feet, which Denmark, the highest hill is 400 feet. So I was, yeah. you know, fighting uh, some some uh, some demons there uh, and some things I, would not, I was not used to at all. So it really affected me with that. And uh, I remember I was down on the ground and I said I can't go any further now, and, and my dad was saying, "Ah, oh, we're almost there." And this guy came over and looked at me and said, "Oh, he's fine." So, um, so we went to the top, and uh, and it was an incredible experience. And uh, yeah, boy, that, those are those are the types of things you, you're glad you did. Um, but I'm not sure I would do it again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. That right there, I think that's a good way to wrap everything up. Mad, thank you for taking some time out, opening up about your world and your music. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Mads for his time, honesty, and stories. 
If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.